Well, this week we're celebrating Thanksgiving, aren't we? It's coming, coming up very quickly, Thanksgiving. It's one of those harvest festivals, and we often think it's a very American tradition-based holiday, right? We think that. But in fact, harvest festivals have been going on for a long time, and God actually ordained a festival of the harvest from Exodus chapter 23. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. And it goes on here. It says, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. It's a time that God said we are to pause. We are to celebrate the harvest, the fruits of our labor. But more than that, isn't it? The Feast of Harvest was a time to reflect on the bounty God has given us. That's really what it was meant. It wasn't meant just to eat. It was meant also to reflect on the bounty of God, the graciousness of God. So Thanksgiving's coming up, isn't it? And then Black Friday, by the way. And this wants to just forward by itself, so I'm going to put it down. But the thing is, we should pause this day every day to reflect on the bounty that God has given us. And this week especially, I want us to reflect on a very special bounty, a feast, one that will actually satisfy you in a way that Thanksgiving won't. One that will fill you in a way that plain food will not. It is a bounty, a feast, a banquet of salvation that our Heavenly Father has given us. So let me give you a little brief context before we get into the text this morning. So... In our reading, just reading, uh, just before our gospel reading today, Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee. Now, remember, Pharisees were the elite of the elite in the religious day. They were very powerful. And so Jesus was invited into this very prominent Pharisee's home. And a lot of people were jockeying for position to be able to sit next to Jesus. You know how they would do it um, for celebrities, politicians, get that photo op, you know, get that selfie, so to speak, with the most prominent member in there. But Jesus says, no, no, stop. You actually, when you come to a feast like this, you should go for the least honorable seat. He says, if you have a feast, you should invite not your family, not the rich, not the powerful, but you should invite the outcasts the crippled, the lame, the blind. Now, imagine saying that among the powerful elite. I bet you could hear a pin drop at that feast. And I bet it was a pretty awkward silence. So I think one man just, he kind of broke under the pressure of that silence. He says, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I mean, it sounds pretty good, right? It sounds like a a good thing to say, but Jesus is saying, not so fast. You have no idea, do you, who's going to be at this feast in the kingdom of heaven. And so he tells them parable of the great banquet, sometimes called the great supper. 
And because this parable is so rich in meaning, and we want to savor everything, we're going to take it in three courses. Does that sound okay? So we've got three courses here. The first course is the uh, invitation given. And you have a uh, handout, you have a sermon sheet for notes if you want to take notes. So the first course, the invitation given. The second course is the invitation rejected. And the third course is the invitation extended. So let's taste and see the goodness of the Lord. The great banquet, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking. But he, said to a, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had invited, come, for everything is now ready. So in biblical times, you have to understand that there were special feasts or weddings in which there was a banquet. And these banquets, weddings, the feast, they went on for days. It wasn't just like you had a short little ceremony and then you go to reception for a couple hours and that was it. No, it went on for days and it was very lavish. And so when Jesus is saying a great banquet, he is talking one on a very, very large scale. So when we take a look at the context of this particular parable, and we take a look at the banquets and the feasts that are also mentioned in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we know he's not just talking about food. He is talking about a heavenly banquet. See, this banquet is not an ordinary banquet that Jesus is talking about. It is a banquet of eternal, joyous satisfaction. That's the banquet he's talking about here, of eternal, joyous satisfaction. Jesus is talking about a banquet that is so full, so deep, so satisfying that nothing on earth compares, and it can only come from the Heavenly Father. So when you take a look at Scripture, you see this throughout. For example, in Revelation 19, verse 6, It says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's a glorious feast that he's talking about here. You hear that? Hallelujah, right? We sang that in the very beginning song. Hallelujah for the cross. It is an exclamation of joy, of great, deep joy. And what is the joy? It's a wedding feast. The marriage of the Lamb of God, Jesus, the only Son, with his bride. And who is the bride? It's the church. It's us. We're invited to that wedding feast. What a celebration that is. That's this great banquet that Jesus is talking about in this parable. Now, because the special nature of this banquet, the man, God the Father, sent a servant. Now, it's interesting that it doesn't say servants as in plural because it's a great feast, right? But he sent servant, it is singular, it is one. 
And in this case, he sent one servant, his servant son, Jesus. God the Father entrusted him to give the invitation. John 3.16, everyone knows that one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son, right? Send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus himself said that he was sent to preach the good news. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. God the Father sent his servant son, Jesus, who invites you. Now, this invitation, though, is a very special invitation. It is not a generic invitation. You've got those in the mail, right? The, you know, it says, dear resident, dear, sometimes even dear occupant. It's just a form letter filled in. But the root of this word invite actually has its meaning in name. You are called by name. God himself has engraved your name on that invitation. It is not generic. It is very special for you. Now, the servant who calls you by name gives a very straightforward invitation. He says, come, for now everything is now ready. Come. I mean, that's come, right? Everything's been laid out. Everything is now ready. Listen, that has always, always been the invitation, come. That's why I like the song, Just As I Am. Come, right? I come. Psalm 66 says, come and see what God has done. For, his, for he is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, the spirit of the bride says, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, come. For everything is now ready. But when it says everything is now ready, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you have to understand that God has prepared this banquet before all time. If you uh, were here for the Garden of Eden series, in the garden, we saw that in the garden, even though that there was sin, even though that there was destruction and death from the sin, and even though there was alienation and separation from God because of sin, even in the garden, God put forth a plan of salvation and led all the way to the cross. And we see all of Scripture pointing to God's plan of salvation throughout. And Jesus, on the cross, he said, it is finished. All the work, all the preparation, everything for your salvation is done. It's finished. Come. Now everything is ready. These are such, such sweet words. 
if you want to put it all together, it would be this. God sent his only son, Jesus, who calls you by name to join in the salvation he offers. But it's even sweeter than that. So it'd be an invitation, and everybody has one in your bulletin. And if you've got a pen, put your name there. Put your name there, because God calls you by name. Mine would read this way, Dear Clayton, you are in lovely, lovely invited to my banquet of salvation. The banquet is free. The cost has already been paid in full by my precious son, Jesus. Serving begins immediately upon acceptance of the invitation and will continue for eternity. For, my sa- for the sake of my son, please accept the invitation. He desires for you to know him personally and join our family with great love, God. Why not put your name on there? Why not keep this present? Or maybe you know somebody, someone who needs this invitation. So, what a wonderful invitation, right? Who would throw that away? Who would reject that? Oh, but we find out that the second course is the invitation is rejected. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. (laughs) I just... Uh, there's more to it when you'll understand the history of that, but uh, just it sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Right? These are all excuses. What is an excuse? Sometimes an excuse is valid, but often you and I use excuses as a polite sort of lie, don't we? Have you ever invited somebody to church? You've heard a lot of different excuses, I bet. As a matter of fact, it would be wonderful to give them a little sheet of paper called... No excuse Sunday. Now, you might, have, might know this one, but I'm going to read it off to you. No excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the foyer for those who say Sunday is my only day to sleep in. Marine will be, given, uh, will be available for those with tired eyes from watching TV too late on Saturday night. We will have steel helmets for those who say the roof would cave in if I ever came to church. Blankets will be provided for those who think the church is too cold and fans for those who think the church is too hot. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list the hypocrites present. For those who wish to spend time with their families on on Sunday, we assure you that your father will be in attendance. There will be TV dinners for those who cannot come to church and cook dinner also. One section will be devoted for trees and grass for those who like to seek God in nature. And finally, the sanctuary will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have never seen the church without them. (laughs) Right? These are all different excuses. And there's even more that people have just inviting to church, let alone the banquet of salvation. Jesus listed really basically three. He said, the excuses were, I've got stuff to take care of. I've got a business to run. Or I don't have time because of my spouse and my family. 
There's many more obligations. You may have some. I'm sure you know friends who have some who just don't go to church anymore. But Jesus is saying to the elite of the day, remember he's with the Pharisees in the house. He's saying the ones who are religious, he says, look, you of Israel, you the chosen ones, the ones my father chose, you, my children, You've received this banquet, this invitation to the banquet. I sent it well ahead with my prophets. I sent it with my miracles, and I have now proclaimed it. But you have rejected this invitation. The hardness, the numbness of your heart has made you indifferent to the message of salvation. That same message could be given today. The hardness, the numbness of your heart has made you indifferent to the message of salvation. Many people reject Jesus. Some say, oh, it's just religious stuff. Others say, I'll get to it when I have time. Right now, it's just not a priority. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I've got, and then, you know, just fill in the blank. See, what they reject is forgiveness of sin. What they reject is everlasting life. What they reject is a complete and full, a joyous satisfaction with our Heavenly Father. And you need to listen to this because this is sobering. The Father says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It is a promise of judgment for those who reject the invitation is a promise of judgment. On the day of judgment, there will be no second chances. There will be no excuses. Everybody comes before Christ. They are judged. And he judges with truth and righteousness. And the only thing any of us will be able to say is, yes, Lord. It's sobering and it should be. But the promise is, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So, that's the first course, the invitation given. Second course, the invitation rejected. And now the third course is the invitation extended. Verse 21 through 23, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. The master of the house, God the Father, has an urgency for this invitation for people to come. Not because God is in a rush, not because God is running out of time, but because you and I, our friends, our family, the people in this city are running out of time. Now, when you're young, life seems really long. But raise your hand if you know that life has become very short. Yeah, and it goes faster and faster and faster, and we are never guaranteed another day. We're never guaranteed another day. 
And so the urgency here, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. God desires a full house. That is his desire. That's always been the plan from the very beginning. His banquet of salvation is open to all who repent and accept Christ Jesus. And Jesus makes a very pointed point here. He says, those people who you think are outcast, who are not worthy of this invitation, those are the ones that are in, the blind, the lame, the crippled, and also those who become spiritually poor, who are spiritually crippled, who are spiritually lame, they too are invited. It means that that person, it means that that person in the house near you, that everybody shuns because of how they keep their yard, because of how they run their life, or their tattoos, they are invited. It means the person who goes to the bar too much and falls down stumbling drunk, they're invited. It means the people who are broken and are dealing with anxiety and depression and maybe using something to help them through that, they too are invited. It means the spouses who have been abused, the children who have been abused, the lost, the hurt, they are invited. See, God's grace does this. It calls everybody in their affliction. It calls everybody in their affliction. And God compels people by the way of loving persuasion. He compels people by the way of loving persuasion. Let me tell you the true story. A fellow named Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz in the 1950s was one of the leaders of the toughest gangs in New York. His Satanist parents brutally abused him, and so he grew up so hardened and devoid of love that he was full of hate. He said, I wanted to do to others what my mother did to me. Nikki says, I used to feel good when I hurt people, but privately he didn't feel good, and the loneliness he felt by himself ate him up. And he said, I felt so lost. And there were only two people who were aware of his such desperate conditions. One was a psychologist. Nikki says, he told, the psychologist told me five times, there's a dark side in your life that nobody can penetrate. Nikki, you are walking straight to jail, the electric chair, and hell, there is no hope. The other was a pastor named David Wilkerson, and he risked his life to tell Nikki that there was hope. Nikki said, I heard his voice. God has the power to change your life. I started cursing loud. I spit in his face. I hit him. I told him, I don't believe in what you say, and you get out of here. Yet God's grace, his mercy, his love, his compassion compelled Nikki. 
And it was actually the crucifixion, Jesus on the cross that grabbed Nikki. He said this, he said, I choked up with pain and my eyes were fighting and tears and to, began to come down and more tears and I was fighting and then I surrendered. I let Jesus hug me. I let his head rest on my chest. I said, I'm sorry, forgive me. And for the first time, I told somebody, I love you. The love Nikki got in return radically changed his life. He said, when I opened my eyes, I had a new heart. I've been born again. I'm a child of the Lord. He had accepted the banquet of salvation. He accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And it turned his hard heart in a soft heart of love. So, there are many ideas about heaven and this banquet. But I want to leave you with this. Basically, two questions. Have you accepted the invitation of Christ to this banquet? And have you, or will you, share his invitation with others? Because God desires his house to be full. And for that, we say, hallelujah. Amen.